Welcome to Coming Along Nicely. We're two brothers, Rich and Tim, who recently went back to school. Every week, we're discussing one thing we're learning in our classes, and we want to invite you to come along with us. Just diving right in and getting to work. Trying to be aware of, okay, where am I? And have I been here too long? The longer that you take to get to that point, it allows hopelessness to fester. And as a therapist, hope is your main resource. It's philosophical, you know. I've got like one week left of school. It's one week. It's wrapping up. So last night I stayed up to to turn in my writing portfolio, which wasn't technically it's due today, but I did most of the work yesterday. And so I just stayed up and submitted it so that I wouldn't have to think about it today. And then I have a couple exams, but that's like it. I think I, I go to one class tomorrow when we're recording this. By the time anybody hears this, I'll be done. So it's pretty wild. Man, I, I think I've got two. Yeah, this is week six. I've got two weeks left. Two left. Nice. So exams coming up, some smaller papers, and then that'll be it for me. Well, yeah, good luck with the uh, end of term grind. But... The the thing I wanted to bring this week to talk about is called the ladder of abstraction. The ladder, Ooh. yes, of abstraction. So this is another this is another writing tool, I guess you would call it, sort of like we talked about the the cinematic camera angles uh probably several weeks ago. This is another one kind of like that. And this one before I explain it, like when you hear it, this is something that I think everybody naturally knows and everybody naturally does it. If you've ever if you've ever written anything, if you've ever spoken in front of anybody, and even if you're like, I don't do either of those things, when somebody doesn't do this, you probably notice. And so that's just kind of my little upfront uh hmm thing that the ladder of abstraction is not as, as crazy as it sounds. But if you picture, you know, it's a ladder. This is really just like an, I guess, a picture and illustration. There are, you know, rungs that climb up and down. And pretty much the idea is that the ladder, the further up you move, you're moving towards the abstract, which is big ideas you know and the further down the ladder you move you are getting more specific and you're kind of zeroing okay. in on something and so the idea is like hey as you write something climb up and climb down like there's no one right way where it's like start here and then go there and then now move down it's not like that but the idea is you have to as the writer or you have to help the readers like move up and down that ladder. Does that make, make sense? Yeah. Wait, so you want to move up and down the ladder? Yeah. Yeah. I guess for some reason in my mind, I thought that the, you just progressively move up the ladder as the book goes on. No. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean, but no, it's kind of like, a to really mix metaphors it's kind of like a a dance so as you're climbing 
that ladder of abstraction. You have to dance up and down. Yeah, no, that's an awful way to say it. (laughs) But no, this is like, okay, so first off, let me say, I'm I'm talking here about like nonfiction writing. So this is not about, this is not about fiction, but nonfiction writing, you know, whatever, pick a topic that you're writing about. If you're writing about, say, uh, you're, you're writing about, gosh, this is going to be a really cheesy one, but like what it means to be American. So even just there, like that, that title is kind of a little bit further up on the ladder. Like it's not, it's not way up there, but it's like on the top half of the ladder. Cause it's like, what, what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to be an American? That's, it's kind of, abs- it's philosophical, you know? And so as you are writing this essay or this book or whatever it is, the idea is just to, to climb up and down the ladder. So what it might look like to climb up would be to talk about like, gosh, I don't know. What are the, what are the terms like liberty, equality, and fraternity? Is that, is that an American that thing? Right. Yeah. So those to me, to my ear are even more abstract. Like when you say, when think you have to think about the pictures in your mind. So when, when I hear what it means to be an American, I picture like a person and I picture kind of like an American flag in the background and I picture a barbecue. So it's kind of like in the middle there when I hear, you know, Liberty, that's even more general. Like there's no image in my mind that goes along with Liberty, but on the other hand, climbing down the ladder, you might in this example, talk about, uh, like a barbecue would be a really cliche example, but that would be an example of, of like, gosh, I'm not even going to go there, but like you could talk about what it means to be an American and this writer might pick a memory out of their childhood. And they're like, man, looking back, this is what it means to be an American. Or like if it was somebody who, uh, immigrated to the United States, like, uh, they might share a specific, like a particular thing that happened to them. And they're like, so, so to me, this is, this is what it means. So I feel like I'm being a little bit vague in my examples of not being vague, but that's kind of the idea climbing, climbing up and down. So I'll give more, but do you have any thoughts? Well, so it kind of seems like you, in talking about this subject, if it's if it's on like your your ladder, you're kind of wanting to go below it and above it, like you're trying to to cover it almost. It's not so much a destination as it is like a process. Right. Yeah. No. It's it's not a destination. It's it is like when you're when you're moving upwards, what you're doing is you are searching for meaning. Uh, This is how my professor said it. So moving upwards, you're searching for meaning when you're moving down the ladder. It's like, okay, now give me an example. So high up on the ladder, like, yeah, you might tell me all of these ideals and all of these like 
cool things to live up to, but I can't see them. I can't like taste them. I can't touch them. So when you move down the ladder, that's when you as the writer or you as the speaker, whoever, you're like, okay, let me give you an example. It actually I, in, I don't know why this is the Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well I was just gonna say it, it <laughs> hearing you describe it this way makes me think of it makes me think of Jacob's ladder. Like that scene where Jacob's, you know, sleeping on the ground with his head on a rock, and then he looks up and he sees a stairway ascending to heaven and angels going up and down it. Like that's the, that's the image I get. You've got these maybe high lofty ideas, but you explain them by, you know, stepping back down on the earth. Yeah. That's, and rooting them kind of. That's interesting. That, that is, I mean, that I, I have never thought of that example, but that is like exactly it. Because yes, it is at the top. It's like these big, heavenly ideas and at the bottom it is like you i think i don't know if you said rooted or grounded but that's like mm-hmm. that is exactly it so for me like my personality is and probably well i won't get into you yet like i, I know my problem is that i can get like weight i can live way too high on the ladder like talk about the big ideas and like whatever, you know, like philosophical thought I have about something. My problem to use like your words is I don't always ground them well enough. But you, when you speak, I think you're a little bit more like you default more to the middle. Like you, Mm -hmm. I think you like, bring the two together better as like a default. And then there are some people who honestly, I don't even think, I don't think this is as common because if this is your problem, I don't think that you're the type of person who would, who would become a a writer or a speaker or anything. But if you lived on the bottom, it would kind of just be like, you would be giving all of these examples of, of something, but like, what are you saying? You know, like you told me about the, the milk that's going bad in the fridge. And you told me about the, you know, I don't know, the, the mail in the mailbox. That's like, you know, overflowing the mailbox, but like you, at some point you have to tell, you have to say what that is. So different people can like live in different spaces, but it's interesting that you said Jacob's ladder, because what I was about to say there was that I think in like church and in sermons, you see a lot of this. I think that people mm-hmm. naturally do this and they naturally want this and they naturally expect this. Uh, like a lot of, if you're talking about some big, you know, like, like righteousness, you know, you can have a, 50 minute sermon on righteousness, but sometimes you walk away from a thing like that and you're like, okay, but what do I, what do I do? Like you, you told me a lot of like very general stuff and I might agree with it even, but that doesn't mean I know what to do with it. So that's like, that's the high end of the ladder. And then, you know, in like a church, like a church, 
uh, example again, you know, maybe, maybe uh, you tell me what to do. You tell me like, don't lie, tell the truth. But if, if like, if you start there on the bottom of the ladder and you never climb up, then people are going to walk away being like, okay, but like, why? Like, who cares? You know, why should I listen to you? Mm-hmm. So those are kind of some of the it problems. It reminds me. So is there a, is there an advantage or a certain destination you're trying to go? Are you always trying to move up? Are you always trying to move down? Are you always trying to do both? Yeah, I don't think you're trying to. No, there's no like right answer. You're you're trying to do both. Okay. You're trying to be aware. Like when you're the one writing, you're trying to be aware of, okay, where am I? And have I been here too long? Oh, okay. Okay. Because I was just as, as you were talking about like church stuff, I was thinking of different speakers I've heard. Remember Rob Bell? Oh, man. Back when I was like in high school. High school, middle school, and he was making like those DVD videos. Yeah. That covered different topics. I think what I and a lot of other people loved about him was I think he always started at the top of the ladder. Probably. And there was this real high lofty point that he started with. And you're like, I don't get it. But then he'd walk you down to the ground and you'd have this aha moment. Where it all just connected at the end. And that was like his thing. Yeah. By the end of the, by the end, he's, he's made it super practical and you're like, whoa. But I think a lot of, uh, most speakers I see in church, I think do the opposite where they start with like a, here's what I did this week, or here's a story from me this week. And then they walk up the ladder and they walk back down the ladder at the end and relate it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So just interesting kind of seeing how these just now that I know about the ladder, seeing it all like unfold. Like that's honestly, I don't want to I don't want to take over your time. It's it probably is a useful tool for therapy, too, because when you're explaining different topics to families, hmm. like. You've got to realize where is this? Where is this problem on this ladder? You know, does everyone understand it? And if not. How do I ground it? How do I further explain it? Can I take us up? Can I take us down? It's just interesting thinking of it that way. Yeah, that's a great point. And actually, I guess it it probably it probably has to do you you could use it in all communication. Like, you know, we all <laughs> we all know somebody who just talks in like they're always up in the clouds. And honestly, maybe you mm-hmm. and I are those people to a lot of people. I don't know. <laughs> that, that could be. <laughs> but uh, for us, like even I am picturing somebody else in my head. So there's already always somebody worse. But yeah, back to your two examples. Those are, yeah, those are exact, like perfect examples of preaching. Like the the Rob Bell you start with this real high lofty idea you move down the ladder and yeah that could give that could give the experience of like an aha moment or 
okay, so I I didn't listen to a lot of Rob Bell, but like it also wouldn't surprise me, just like my impression I've created in my mind. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he did the opposite too. So if one of his videos was like super zoomed in on a ladybug on a leaf and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's actually that's there is one video where he just like talked about breath for a long time and then related it to the idea that like. How Yahweh is spelled. And how the way it's spelled, it doesn't have consonants, but it's also was supposed to remind the Israelites of the sound of a breath. Yeah. So I just summed up the whole like 25 minute video, but he's talked a lot just about breath. And and to the point where you're like, where are you Weird going with this, out. dude? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, kind of <laughs> that, though, like I'm I'm, you know, I wish people could see my hand motions for this one, because what you just said, like. Starting out talking about like human breath, that's like really low on the ladder. And then you you take that to, you know, in a different language, the way that that the name for God sounds and like what it means when you think of like spirit and the word ruach and like that kind of thing. He so he's going, he's jumping from the way bottom of the ladder way to the top of the ladder. And then probably if I had to bet like as it goes on, he probably comes down to the middle a little bit. So he's the middle is more like okay, so in light of this big idea, what ideas should we live with and like what actions should we take that sort of thing. You know, but the very bottom of the ladder is like the the breath or the ladybug like the super particular stuff and and that's not any more right or wrong than the other one you said that's kind of like the youth pastor like meme which is uh like just yeah starting with like some some cool thing and then like turning it into something spiritual like you know, that's a little bit cliche just because we've heard it a million times, but there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Like that's kind of uh, that's not as extreme as Rob Bell's. So like if you start with God, OK, I guess I'm going to have to like. Um, OK, so so if the youth pastor is like, you know, a lot of you guys listen, a lot of you guys went to Coachella to see Frank Ocean live. But I know a guy who traveled. Okay, wait, wait, let me start over. Um, a lot of you guys traveled to Coachella to see Frank Ocean live. But if I can be frank, I know a guy who traveled to Earth to throw your sins in the ocean so that you could live for him. Like that is that is starting in like the bottom half of the ladder, like there's this big, you know, concert that went on this past week and then it moves up a little bit more on the ladder, which is like, hey, you kind of already know this idea about like Jesus dying for your sins. But I'm going to connect these two these two things. It's uh, not as like extreme as the Rob Bell example, in my opinion. Hmm. So is there. It doesn't seem like the 
okay. Is there like a negative way that the ladder can be used? Like, I guess the ladder is just a concept, so it's probably not positive or negative. Um, and we're, we're and we're just talking about examples of people like explaining points. But is there is there a way that the ladder can be used like unhealthily? Like, should we, with an understanding of the ladder, be like looking more closely at points that people are making? Or is that not, is that more, is that less of a like ladder concept and more just like a speaking concept? Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, like, could people just be starting and then connecting to points that are not connected, but just the way that they're connecting them appears ladder like? So we are like, oh, yeah, it's a good point. That is, that is an interesting point. So, okay. So, if you are on the side of I'm the I'm the person writing or I'm the person speaking, then no, I don't think there's any wrong way to use it because the point of it is just to show you it's just to remind you like, OK, I've been spending too much time up in the clouds. I probably need to climb down a little bit like it's more for you gotcha. to be aware. But that's an interesting thought if you're on the on the. uh listening side like yeah that is that is a thing okay so i'm that you make me think about like politics and if i'm remembering right i think i think bernie sanders and i think marco rubio have both been accused of doing this thing and i you know i've only heard it so i don't know if if uh I don't know the validity of any of this, but I've heard diff different people like outline that with both of those two people, they'll do kind of what you said, which is they'll give a real life anecdote and then they'll jump up the ladder. But the two things that they say are not connected. So the, the Marco, well, okay. Like the Bernie one. It's almost like because you skip a lot of the rank, like the rungs, it feels maybe I'm more just talking about escalation. Um, maybe I'm not talking about like the latter. Hmm. But go ahead. Well, like I was going to say, I, I know with the Bernie Sanders one, what people were saying about him is like he would. OK, so this is starting more on the bottom of the ladder. He might give an example of somebody who makes like a ton of money you know like multi multi-millionaire millionaire or billionaire and he might talk about the way that uh like they're not taxed enough like how little they pay in taxes so that's like the bottom of the ladder he's he's talking about this one guy or this one corporation or whatever and then he jumps up the ladder a bit and he's saying, you know, it's not right that, you know, Bernie's whole thing was like the 1% or whatever. Like, it's not right that mm -hmm. the 1% are paying so little in taxes. And so that's a that's a jump on the ladder from lower to higher. And what people were saying is like, OK, but yeah, your your anecdote was about a billionaire. 
But when you jump up the ladder and you say 1%, all of a sudden you're talking about people who make like $100,000. And so you're giving a specific example that's not the, the truest picture of, of once you jump up the ladder, like the generalization you're making and what steps you think you should take. So in other words, it's like, okay, but you're telling a story about a billionaire in order to tell me to tax somebody who makes $100,000. That's sort of like what people were saying. And I don't know. I'm Like I said, I don't like quote me on that. I actually like Bernie. And, and the, with Marco Rubio, it was the exact opposite where, you know, he would give an example of, so again, starting on the bottom of the ladder, he would give an example of like one person who happened to be paying way too many taxes. And then he would jump up the ladder and say, so that's why we need to cut all of these. And again, it was kind of like the inverse thing where people were like, okay, but yeah, that one person is not really representative of like the group that you're talking about. So anyway, I think that that is a way it can be like, if you're, if you're on the listening end, maybe that is something to keep an eye out for is like, okay, so when people give a a concrete example, is that connected to then the generalizations they make and more of like the, the philosophies that they're wanting you to, to take on. So I don't know. I don't think that exactly answers your question, but Maybe it just no, I, gives I you it, awareness as a listener. Yes, I think that's. I think it's a useful tool to keep in mind, like how many, especially when you talked about like jumping up the ladder. I think the more that the more distance. This is my theory. The more distance you cover in one like big jump. The you, you still make a connection, but I think it's less strong. Like if you go from like step one to step eight or step seven to step two, like you might still be able to give a sense of connection, which the audience might be able to like suspend and like just go with the connection. But I think as a listeners, it's important to kind of like go, okay, like how much content was skipped there? In this connection. Well, Um, I don't know if I agree with that, actually, because no, no, because I think that what I'm talking about, the ladder of abstraction is more about how it's how you are communicating. And I think what you're talking about is it comes down more to what, like if somebody is, Mm. is giving false premises and like bad logic they're they're what what they're saying is the issue and that to me is separate than how i think when you make big or small jumps like those are two different stylistic things which are better for which are better for different scenarios so like you as a counselor or if somebody really wanted to like a, like a you know a, a teacher wanted to sit down and say like, okay, guys, this topic is really complicated. I'm going to just start at the bottom. I'm going to start as specific as I can get. And we're going to little by little climb up the ladder. And by the end of it, like you've heard so many examples, you've done so many things that like it, 
you're not overwhelmed by the fact that we're climbing up the ladder. That would be one way to do it. And that's a stylistic thing. But when you make big jumps, that is more dramatic. And that is more of uh, like, I can't really think of the word right now, but it's like, it's like an, it's a, it's a twist. It's like a, you're taking me for a ride. And I think what that, I mean, okay, so that's probably a, I think people say taking somebody for a ride is like a bad, has a bad connotation, but okay. So here, Mm -hmm. here's what I'm, here's my point. You remember the Rob Bell thing from how many years ago? True. And so that was like a, like a, whoa, like he just, he said something and that involved a really big, you know, jump, so to speak from the, the very bottom of the ladder to the very top of the ladder. So I don't, I don't think it's it's wrong. Like when when you were saying, is there any wrong way to do it? I don't think anyone is like particularly wrong. But depending on what you're trying to do, different things are better than others. Like a okay, a, I think that makes more sense. A uh, you know, like a fourth grade teacher teaching people about you know teaching kids about like ecosystems and how they work and that sort of thing they're going to probably give you know like show a picture of this kind of animal okay what where does this animal live and then show another kind of animal it's like where does this animal live and it's like you know uh the sahara the amazon like where does this one live like antarctica and then once they've given a lot of concrete examples they're gonna like pull a lesson from it like different, you know, ecosystems support different kinds of life. And why is that? And then they, you know, so they're going to like take small steps and kind of like break it down into little chunks. And, you know, in a courtroom, it might at times be different. Like the lawyer might take the stand and he might be talking about, you know, do we really want to live in a country where this person is, you know, charged for doing whatever that's like on the top of the ladder or they might get really particular down into the nitty-gritty of the law so yeah i mean like i said it's kind of it's kind of just all having to do with what you want to accomplish and by having this picture in your mind sometimes it's just a good reminder like okay i need to climb down the ladder a bit or i need to climb up the ladder a bit so yeah any any final thoughts or should we jump to you? No, no, I think I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Very useful tool for if you're writing or speaking. I think especially if you're speaking. Um, coming from a world where I used to speak almost on a weekly basis, I think this kind of idea would be super helpful. Um, just to even have like a little tiny picture on your desk or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a good little, like, like I said, I think that you intuitively know that you should do some of this, but just having the image, I think makes it a little clear and it's like a good, good reminder. So, yeah. But what are, what are you learning about this Um, week? Man, just more, you know, more family therapy. Um, And I don't know if it's like, 
I don't have anything that's super like in my face. The this thing is to bring what it, I want yeah. to talk about this week, um, which makes it like tough. Um, I think my reading mostly this week was on for family therapy. We went over strategic family therapy, um, which is different than structural family therapy. But it's loosely connected to all these different types of th- therapy. I guess overall strategic family therapy um, appears to be more brief focused. Um, so when it comes to therapy, I guess you could kind of think of it as like a spectrum. There's certain therapies that want to be very quick and very brief. Their focus is on creating change in the family system or in the person's system as quickly as possible. Um, with the understanding that like change builds momentum. Um, so for example, like a, like a cognitive behavioral therapy or a solution focused brief therapy, um, strategic family therapy, these, these branches, they focus on quick successes. Um, they might not even spend as much time looking back to the cause of problems or like where problems are rooted because they are less interested in the why and they can view the discovery of the why as wasted time. Um, Because you could, instead of discovering the whys, which doesn't necessarily in, in their view help, you know, knowing why you do something doesn't help you to stop doing it changing the actions, you know, helps you to stop doing it. So if you kind of fall under that ethos as a counselor, uh, or even as a client, I guess, those therapies would be more useful at like just diving right in and getting to work. Um, In fact, from people from different cultures might even appreciate that more. Because some cultures kind of view the more Western uh, historical discovering the why version of counseling to s- almost seem like you're just kind of playing games. Like if a client comes in and they have this problem and they want to solve this problem and the therapist is like, well, let's just talk about your family history. They might be like, no, why am I paying you? Like, why am I, I'm here for a service. And I'm not getting the service, which is help fixing this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting in that regard. Um, But I think one thing I – and it's very similar to structural, where strategic family therapy is very creative um, in its its, uh, working. So it kind of involves the therapist diving in more and trying to think creatively about how to problem solve. Once again, literally problem solve. We're not like – you're kind of seeing where the family is at now, and then you're trying to figure out how to get them out of essentially the ruts that they are in as a family in order to see success and wins in certain problems. So then the family can build upon that momentum. I think there's even times where in strategic family therapy, you might only meet for like two or three sessions and then take like a month off and then come back. And work for two or three sessions and take a month off because the therapy theory itself 
wants to use the pressure of limited time to focus families on like really making the most of their time there with the therapist. Yeah. So it's an interesting therapy. I think like, I definitely want to use like the tools of it, but I don't know. I don't know where I fall between a more like either brief or long form therapy. Cause I do think, and maybe this is what I'll talk about. It's just my ping ponging between the two. I, I can totally see the importance of both. I do think there is importance to having therapy be brief and being um, brief, action-oriented, and getting work done right away, like diving right in and starting to see success. Because the sooner you can see success on any problem in therapy that builds momentum, it builds hope. And the longer that you take to get to that point, it allows like hopelessness to fester. And as a therapist, you're really hope is like your main resource. So being able to get some kind of win quick, like is great. Like I remember that's one thing I learned a lot in addictions therapy. And this therapy, strategic family therapy says specifically, it's good with working with families with addiction, um, with eating disorders. Um Probably because you see quick wins, which are still wins. Quick wins aren't bad. They're not cheap. Um, And that allows the family to have hope because failures will come. Like when working with addictions, when working with eating disorders, when working with ingrained habits, there will be failures. And if, if your failures in the beginning outnumber your successes, then you might just lose the family. Um, in the therapy process, which means they might give up on the therapy process, which means hopefully they still are able to change. But but what if they're not? So you so there's a point to getting things done quickly. Um, that's definitely an advantage. But I also don't think that time spent figuring out why something is the way it is. I don't think that's necessarily wasted time either. And that that might be more of a personal thing. Like, I feel like if I can understand why something has gotten to the way it is, if I can understand what's like going on in my unconscious, if I can figure out like what has developed me into this person, I think that really helps me to then look forward with new, like, with new insight and new motivation. So like, it might be wasted time because I'm still doing the same things, but then the discovery of like, oh, this is why I do this, or, oh, this is where that came from, kind of puts new wind in my sails and helps me to look at the problem through a new light. Um, so it's, it's weird that therapies seem to kind of split there between whether they are more past focused and then move to the future or just don't look at the past at all. Just change the behaviors. Cause that's, what's important. Like if you change the behaviors, the future will change. Like you don't need to worry about the past as much. Um, and I think there's definitely, there's a true point. If you spend too much time on the past, like people only have so many sessions, you know, like, so the more time you spend on the past, that is time that behaviors aren't changing. Um, and that is not good for your clients. Um, but also at the same point, I've heard critiques that like, if you don't, 
build an understanding like for families, for instance, if you don't help unpack this understanding of why people are the way they are, like maybe I know this is super cliche, but like maybe someone in the family is acting just like their mother and their mother learned it from their mother. And it's, it's just like this functional pattern of behavior that's being passed down, like understanding that and identifying that, like you might fix the behavior. But if you don't fix that ethos that the person holds that's been passed on, they might just learn a new dysfunctional behavior because their ethos is still the same. Um, Well, I don't know. So it's it's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. And I think that like the one of the words you used was momentum. And so Mm -hmm. like the way I hear it, one one way that this could go about is you know, say that you start very, what is is it? It's not systematic. It's strategic, right? Mm -hmm. So say you start very strategic and it's like day one, you give a family something to do, something to change, something to, you know, I, I do think there is something very real, no matter who you are, that like getting, like, yeah, getting a quick win under your belt makes you feel good and it makes you feel like you can do more. So I totally get that. To me, it's like maybe for a certain type of person, they need to get a few of those. And then you can come back and say like, okay, hey, listen, when you stop doing this thing, you feel so much better, right? And it's like, yeah, I feel a lot better. Like your life is going so much better, right? And it's like, yeah, things are going good. And it's like, okay, so then let's dig into now let's dig into why you are wanting to do something that was making your life worse. So does that make sense? Like kind of what I'm saying is maybe you start the one way and then once people are seeing that it's working, maybe then it can be time to unpack like, like as you were saying, like going into the past and like answering the question of why why you are doing that isn't that one way you could do it i think you could do it that way but i think that the the theorists would say that by like you should just keep pressing forward mm. like to then look back and say like okay hey this is like solved let's keep moving like i think they would say like you're risking the fact that the problem isn't quite solved and you could keep really pushing forward and helping giving them more tools and fixing more problems that like stepping back. I think their pushback would be don't go back. Just keep it. Cause they would say you've already had success. Why would you go back? Yeah. When the theory is being successful. No, that, that makes sense. Like the definitely the underlying theory of it, people are are going to be bought out to or like subscribe to one theory perhaps so like i guess i should say i think the example i just gave is very very like colored by what i was just talking about on the ladder which is like the mm. way i'm thinking in my head is is maybe these kind of dichotomies that you are struggling with maybe it's like okay if i feel like i'm stuck Maybe I need to climb somewhere else on the ladder. 
So if, if talking about the past isn't working, maybe I just need to like, boom, 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 give people something to do, or if that's not working, vice versa. So I guess that's kind of where my head is at, uh, based on what we were just talking about. But I no, I understand what you're talking about too, is like the, you know, counselors aren't just like winging it. Like you kind of have to, you have your philosophy, you have your, this is the way that I do counseling and you need some of that. Like you need to be bought out to a theory of how it works. Yeah. Cause I think that's like part of, there is like a practice of therapy therapy called like multimodal where you do kind of pick parts from different things. And when I like first started taking my classes and heard about multimodal, I was like, oh yeah, I think everyone in my class, the teacher was like, what do you kind of see yourself practicing? And I think all of us were like multimodal, like, yeah. cause all the theories are good. Why would we not mix them all together? Um, and she had some kind of like warnings against that. She wasn't like, no, don't do it. She was like, Hey, just so you know, like when you're practicing multimodal, it can be very scattered. And you have to work really hard to make sure you're actually doing something in therapy. And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. I got that under hundred percent. But like, I th- I don't know what, if it was last week or the week before I read something in my textbook about like how it's important to commit to therapies from a certain viewpoint, because like if you, if you start drifting too much, like you might encounter resistance, which is natural. Like resistance is a part of therapy. Like your client will resist yeah. change. They will resist. There, there will be pushback, whether that's family or individual. And you might encounter resistance and naturally feel like, okay, I should try something different because I'm encountering resistance. Um, because you've got your foot in so many different places. But if you're committed to a certain therapy or if you're committed to, to, you know, so like a certain viewpoint, you will in that viewpoint understand resistance. Like you won't see it as bad. You'll see it as part of the process in what you are doing from your certain viewpoint and then be like, okay, resistance in this therapy means I should do this. So it gets me yeah. back to the drawing board. No, no, no. Know? I know like because what that makes me think of is I've had certain professors or not just in college, like teachers too, who are more on that like kind of hippie, like there's so many ways to learn and like it's not just about tests and it's not just about like assignments and and all the stuff that they say, like when they say it is is true. Like research shows that, yeah, testing isn't the only way to uh, <laughs> to prove that people learned and like so on and so forth. But sometimes when you go through those people's classes, like you said, resistance, there's no resistance. And so you don't learn anything because when you as the student are like, oh, man, I'm a little too too busy to do this reading. Like you just say that as an offhand comment and the press professor's like, oh, you don't have to do the reading or like, man, I'm really not looking forward to this test. And they're like, oh, we'll throw out the test, you know, and you go through something like that. Mm-hmm. And because there's no track, there's no plan where you're like, no, this is what I'm I am like stepping onto this conveyor belt. And I'm saying, like, I want to go through these steps and receive this resistance 
I can totally see how in counseling, yeah, it's like uh, I I phrased it as winging it, which is not really what I mean. It's more of what you said, where it's like if you're just trying to constantly adapt and constantly like chase the situation rather than knowing how you're going to approach it, then yeah, there's going to be no resistance. And then the, the person's not getting what they signed up for. Yes. Yeah. I think, okay. So you explaining it kind of helped me find my, I think my illustration for it. Um, when you talked about like plans. So it's, it's having, the idea of committing to a certain therapy or at least committing to these two therapies work together. I'm going to use them. If you are doing multimodal, it, it's having a plan and having the expectation that even when I'm following this plan, there will be resistance. There will be bumps in the road, but I'm committing to this plan because I know where I'm going, which is very similar to, I don't know if this is still how they do it, but how I think the American military redid how they viewed orders in like, I'm not sure if it was like their modern way of doing it or not, where like they stopped giving, they stopped giving super concrete orders and they gave more open orders that were still connected to certain points so that things could wiggle on the fly, but they were still a direction. Hmm. Um, I think it's kind of similar to that where like committing to a therapy is knowing you're moving in a specific direction using certain tools, but also knowing that like no plan survives contact with the enemy. Like we're going to start moving forward and there's going to be pushback and resistance, but that doesn't mean that the model I'm working in isn't working. Also, I will say this too, saying all this, I think there's going to be times where as a therapist, I'm working with the client and I do realize my whole plan is not the right fit for this client. Like this client needs something different. So you do need to be able to be somewhat flexible. You can't force people through a certain plan. Um, well, you kind of need to, but I think at the same time too, you, you need to know the difference between like the resistance you were talking about, which the resistance is actually what you're there for versus like, no, we're just stuck. And maybe when you're stuck is when, what you're talking about comes into play where it's like, okay, throw out the playbook. Let's try this instead. Not even throw out yes. the playbook. Yes. But we're stuck. I'm going to try this one different thing that I know works. Hmm. So which one? I guess I've got plenty of time. True. To figure it out. But I think where I'm doing my internship, it's called a, uh, well, I think where I'm doing my internship, it it's specifically, I think, a family therapy place. So I imagine it's going to be more. And I heard my director say that she got trained in play therapy, which I'm pretty sure is structural, which we talked about last week. So I think it will be more of like the more hands on. Like. Not discovering the past, moving on to the future method, which once again, I think serves that population well. But I also know that like Cleveland, there's like three centers in the world for like gestalt training therapy, mm -hmm. which is very like the why, like discovering, having awareness, discovering like what's underneath the surface. Um, so I'd love to like do some stuff there 
But then at the same time, too, like Gestalt therapy has spotty records of being able to prove that it's effective. Wait, so, so you're saying one of it, one of the three places is in Cleveland? Yeah, I think it's like Brazil, somewhere in Europe and Cleveland. Interesting. Wow. I know. Right. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I think who I am as a person, I tend to like to know the whys of things. I think that giving people those aha moments. I know that like, okay, so person-centered therapy uh, has this understanding that like the the client is a capable individual who can solve their own problems. What they're missing is like hope in themselves and belief that they can. So the role of the therapist isn't so much to fix their problems for them and help give them all these tools, which then could create a loop of you've got to come back. It's to help them understand kind of why they're doing things and build that hope inside of them that they can change things so that they don't need to come back. Um, But I think in the same regard, so that seems like, okay, we were going to that viewpoint says we're going to get people out of counseling by giving them the tools, AKA the understanding, AKA the, the hope and the interpretation of their life they need to not need to come back. Whereas a more practical therapy would say people are coming in for therapy. We're going to give them the literal tools to solve the problem that's in front of their face. And then they can use those tools for other things or their life might just be changed. If we can eradicate this problem. I don't know. I just, I just really like the why. Yeah, I think in my own life, in my own very limited viewpoint, I think I've seen people have really strong aha moments attached to understanding why something is happening or why they view something a certain way. And then that giving them the hope they need to fix their own problems because their life is so different and so unique that like, you know, kind of. Only they can know how to fix a certain problem a certain way. I don't know. So we'll see where I eventually end up landing on those. Yeah. Well, on one of those, but I'm sure I'll be figuring out for the rest of my life. Yeah, exactly. Like it's something that you, you know, you've got time in school and then you've also got, you know, a whole career to, to dial it in. And like, for me, I know we're wrapping it up, but just my, my like pedestrian take on it is I totally do understand the idea of like momentum and like like getting some like quick successes but it ties into me with what we've we talked about like two weeks ago or something where i think a lot of times it seems like people know or maybe i shouldn't say they know what to do but people feel like they've been told all the right things to do and they've been told all the good advice and still something's not working so it kind of it kind of feels mm-hmm. like, yeah, why would I if I'm in a bad enough situation that I'm going to like take time and money to go to therapy? I feel like you would want you would expect to like dig deeper a little bit as opposed to I want to go to somebody and like they're just going to tell me what to do. I feel like if that's the choice you're making, it almost like 
does it uh, not undermine itself, but I don't know. And obviously I like, don't even know what I'm talking about when it comes to counseling, but I think I agree with you that it's like, you need some of that. Uh, you, you need to answer some of those questions and you need to kind of like uh, look below the hood, so to speak. Yeah. Strangely enough, hearing you talk about it, I was reminded of the Noom commercials, mm. which you've probably seen. I think everyone's probably seen a Noom commercial <laughs> yeah. by now. Um, it's like a it's like a weight loss program attached to like psychology, and all their commercials advertise that they do both. You know, it's the person being like, "I've been conditioned to finish my plate since childhood." So there's the aha moment, like, okay, this is why you do it. They're advertising that. But then they're also, the rest of the ad is spent towards like, we'll give you specific tools to tackle your problem head on. So they're advertising both. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a mixture. Which I don't know. I don't know if they effectively deliver on both. I've never been a part of Noom. I've heard people say good things. I've heard people say bad things. But it's interesting that they they try to offer both. Yeah. Noom, the uh, actually, I haven't seen an ad for them in a while, but I have noticed like the day I turned 28, all of the ads that I get on the Internet like changed drastically. And it's been like really kind of hilarious. Yeah, like Noom is along the lines of like what uh, the kind of stuff I would be getting. It just must be huh. something about the year twenty eight that you're old now or something. Well, you're probably in. You're probably in a new age bracket. Yeah, that. I don't that's what I'm saying. And like viewed your like, what is it? You can get onto like Google and see how they bracket you for advertising. Like Google still thinks that I am a fifty year old Latina woman <laughs> because one. And I've tried to tell them so many times I've not, but there was one time where I was watching Hulu on my PS4 and there was a like minivan commercial. And it was like, would you like this ad in English or would you like this ad in Spanish? <laughs> I was like, what the hey, give it to me in Spanish. And they have had the hardest time not thinking that I was a 50 year old Latina Ever woman since. because of that, because of that choice right there yeah no i definitely i haven't I, I entered a new age bracket that's what i'm saying but it's just it's been funny like how drastic it was like it wasn't subtle at all it was like hey happy birthday man it was like night yeah day. now we are changing everything we advertise to you mm. i'm like I'm, I'm still the same person good old advertising and that is the episode. Thanks again for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you guys on the next one.